Hey, hey, welcome everyone to the Ritz Report. I am Alex Ritz, and today is Thursday, February 24th, 2022. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to join me on today's podcast. Thank you and welcome. Welcome, welcome. Send me notes of adoration and love or pure hatred to Ritz at RitzReport.com. Love the old email route. Or you can check me on the socials at RitzReport. What's happening, folks? What is happening in the world? Well, as I'm sure everyone knows by this point, we have a full-blown invasion going on in the Ukraine. Russia has decided, you know what? We're not just going to go for this Donbass region here and pretend like we're just going to halt and stop. (laughs) We're going to take over the whole country. So they have launched a three-prong attack, land, air, and sea. The airstrikes started Uh, Strategic airstrikes started before dawn, after which we see aircraft and paratroopers. Uh, They're coming from the area in Russia. They are coming from Crimea and from Belarus, so north, east, and south. Remains to be seen what exactly Putin wants. It's sort of hard to get a read on what he wants. I know he makes a lot of noise about the fact that he doesn't want, he does not want Ukraine to be part of NATO, and I get that. I can understand that. But to launch a full-out war because of it seems a little much. I mean, that, that's just uh, just my opinion, but we'll talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about Trudeau and the uh, happenings in Canada. Uh, of course, we'll have to talk about New York City, because I always like to touch on New York City, because it's a place that's dear to my heart, dear to my heart, and it makes me sad to see what's going on there. And we're going to talk about the WHO and Vax passports, because that, like I've said on this show a hundred times, is the goal. Vax passports are the goal. But starting with Ukraine, Ukraine invaded Russia, and it's going on now. It's hard to know what strategically, like I said, Putin wants. He hasn't really come clear with what his demands are. There's talk now that the uh, folks in the Kremlin are saying that they would agree to a ceasefire if, you know, essentially Ukraine makes a whole bunch of promises to uh, the Russians and to Putin. But we will have to see if that actually comes to pass. Uh, John Kerry decided that he would come out and, (laughs) Uh, folks, John Kerry, a.k.a. known as Lurch. I don't know if anybody has seen The Addams Family. If you haven't seen The Addams Family, if that was before your time, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Go on YouTube and look for The Addams Family and look for the Lurch character. And that essentially is John Kerry. John Kerry is less concerned with the war and innocent lives and innocent civilians dying than he is with Wait for it. Wait for it. Global warming. Global warming. I have a clip here that you won't believe. It might leave your jaw on the floor. But uh, what do you say we take a listen to it together? And away we go. I'm very concerned about, I'm concerned about Ukraine because of the people of Ukraine and because of the principles that are at risk uh, in terms of international law and trying to change boundaries of international law by force. Uh, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to that kind of activity. Just to pause there for one moment. I thought we had said no to that kind of activity. So that implies that there is not a human being on the planet today that has some desire to expand his or her borders via force. This shows you the level of naivete and the worldview 
of this set of people, these billionaires, these people that attend Davos that are so out of touch that it is hard to quantify. He didn't think we lived in that kind of world. We live in a world that is governed through the use of force. I say this all the time. I say it all the time. Even as my kids growing up, like, you know, we would be watching the news and somebody would be talking about something related to foreign policy. And it's like, you know, foreign policy, generally, if you boil it all down, it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. Yeah, you have cultural differences and there are things that you need to be cognizant of so you don't offend people and things of that nature. But foreign policy, when push comes to shove, it's like the tough guy on the playground when we're kids. Who's the toughest kid on the playground? That's the one who's going to rule the world, right? It just so happens that the United States, I don't even know that we are the toughest kid anymore, but we've been the toughest kid for a long time and we were just a nice, tough kid. We're not going around colonizing the world. But it's just, it's amazing that this guy used to be the Secretary of State, and that's his worldview. Sorry, a little tangent there. Let's listen to the rest of this idiot. And I hope diplomacy will win, but massive uh, emissions consequences to the war, but equally massive emissions consequences to the war. Forget about the loss of life. Forget about the destruction of lives, people unable to go to work, people unable to do whatever it is they normally do in their daily routine. You can't do that because bombs are falling and you're essentially running for your life. But the emissions, the emissions of the attack, oh boy, that's going to keep me awake at night. It's going to keep John Kerry awake at night when he's flying across the Atlantic on his private jet. Let's listen to the rest of this fool. Importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted. And, and uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So, you know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing and his infrastructure is at risk. I don't even know. I'm not sure what channel but <laughs> that this was on. It, whether it, it definitely was not in the United States because you look at the person who's doing the interview. She's sitting there staring at him and he says this and you see her face as though she is in complete and utter disbelief of what she's hearing. That here is Lurch, one of the dumbest guys on the planet. <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> one pathetic loser, John Kerry. And she is dumbstruck by what he is saying. Nothing about death, talking about the permafrost in Russia and how Putin should recognize that and not go to war because of it. And the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that that guy, Secretary of State, ran for president. His mindset, the, the way that he thinks, you almost... You have to turn off your critical thinking ability to be John Kerry. He just sounds that stupid. He really, really does. Are you kidding me? You are literally too stupid to insult. Uh, but one thing that this whole, this whole event with Ukraine and Russia has exposed is how deeply in trouble, how deeply in trouble Europe is in regard to energy. Energy is national defense, right? When you have energy and you have strong energy supplies of your own, it is part of your national defense because you are not dependent 
upon some rogue actor on the world stage to give you what you need to keep your people alive and warm and your economy running. Because as much as windmills and solar panels and uh, hydroelectric power is great, we still don't have anything. And I know the people out there on the left hate to hear this. We still don't have anything that even comes close, that even comes close to hydrocarbons to keep our world moving. Nuclear is great. Nuclear is great. If you're talking about setting up plants to give power to an entire country, nuclear is great. But to get a truck of goods from point A to point B, you need diesel fuel and oil. To get a 747 into the air, you need jet fuel to get it off the ground. For all of those cars, with all of those people in the United States to go to work every day, you need gasoline and oil. And if we didn't have oil, if we didn't have oil, because 90% of what you're wearing right now listening to this is made with some sort, of a, some sort of a derivative from oil. If we didn't have oil, we'd have to create it. So watching what's going on with this whole thing with Putin is really instructive, really instructive, because Europe is in a bad, bad spot. And not only they're in a bad spot, they put themselves in that spot intentionally because they feel as though they're saving the planet. Oh, we're good people. We're going to save the planet. We're going to make ourselves completely vulnerable to lunatics like Putin because we think that driving around in little cars and having solar panels in our backyards make us good virtue signaling people. Unbelievable. From Alex Berenson, he wrote this yesterday, and it's excellent. From his unreported truths, um, Substack, it's excellent. I, I encourage you to read it. I will link to it. But he writes here. He writes here. Regretus. Ukraine has a few, and the subtitle is how the European obsession with decarbonization has driven energy and electricity prices through the roof, and helped give Vladimir Putin license to do whatever he likes. License to do with whatever he likes. Pete Ducey actually asked the idiot who is the press secretary, Saki, Jen Pasaki, asked her about this, about the price of gas in California is over for between four and five dollars. And how does the president anticipate that we're going to deal with that here? Let's listen to that exchange before I continue on with this piece from Alex Berenson. Should people across the country expect to see that kind of a number when they go to gas up their car? $5, $6? Well, again, I think, as you heard the president say last week, uh, standing up for our values is not without cost. Standing up for our values is not without cost. <laughs> uh, honey, honey, redhead. Listen, red. When this idiot in chief, Joe Bite Me, came in to the Oval Office, we were energy independent. Energy independent. We could still be energy independent if he hadn't shut down the Keystone Pipeline and put a whole bunch of land off, off uh, limits to, to drilling and getting energy out of the ground. So listen, Red, I know you're not that smart. And I know you have like a really, really difficult job. You're trying to cover for a guy who's literally drooling into his oatmeal in the morning. But to just stand there and constantly lie to the American people, it gets old. Every day to be standing there just lying, it gets old. We don't really want to listen to it. And I'm certain, I am certain to my bones that Joe Biden's view of the world and his values do not align with mine whatsoever. Not whatsoever. 
So let's listen to the rest of the clip. What we're trying to do is minimize that cost. So I don't have a prediction of it right now because we're trying to minimize the impact on the global energy markets. If that was true, if they were trying to minimize the cost and minimize the pain on the American people, they would open up the Keystone Pipeline. They would, do, they would, la they would allow the American people to use the energy resources that we have here in this country for the population of this country. See, but this gets back to Obama, right? This gets back to the globalists, to the people that completely buy into the global warming narrative or the climate change narrative or whatever we're calling it this week. It gets to the point where they say, we need to make it so expensive for you to drive your car and so expensive for you to heat your home that you have to find alternative ways to do that. That we suddenly need to go to electric cars and we suddenly need to have, you know, something other than oil and coal and things of that nature that are heating our homes. That is the end game. That is the end game. But to this piece from Alex Berenson, Regretta's Ukraine has a few, and he calls it Regretta's because of Greta Thunberg and her idiocy and the idiot adults who listen to her idiocy. And there are plenty of them. You are literally too <laughs> stupid to insult. So he writes once again, Western political and media elites find themselves in the unfortunate position of denying reality obvious to anyone with eyes or a wallet. This time, they're lying about the economic and now political crises their green energy policies are causing, particularly in Europe. These lies may be damaging, damaging them more even, though, than their, even more than their COVID fantasies did because they are even more obvious to people outside the bubble. Anyone who drives is aware of the recent spike in oil prices, now near $100 a barrel, a rise due in part to domestic efforts to discourage American oil production. But Americans may not know the, catas the catastrophe in Europe's electrical and natural gas market. That crisis is even more directly linked to broader efforts to put in quote-unquote sustainable fuels that so far have proven distinctly unsustainable. Unlike the United States, Europe doesn't have much oil and gas. For generations, it has used a mix of fuels, coal, nuclear, imported natural gas, and a little oil and some renewables to power its electric plants. That mix worked just fine. But, before, but even before the world minister of energy policy, Greta Thunberg, banged her shoe at the desk of the United Nations in 2019, the Europeans were getting very worried about their carbon dioxide. Reminder, carbon dioxide is what you get when you burn hydrocarbons like coal or oil. It's also what you emit when you breathe, right? <laughs> so every one of us is a horrible, horrible admitter. Or emitter, I'm sorry, not admitter. He continues, anyway, in part because they don't have much of an oil industry to destroy, for the last 50 years or so, Europeans have been comfortable pushing energy efficiency with high gasoline taxes and high-speed trains and wind farms. They're all basically harmless ways to prove they aren't Americans. Recently, though, uh, the screeching about global climate change has gotten loud, right? And he continues. He says, he shows a chart here of the pandemic rebound and who are the biggest emitters in terms of carbon in the world. And by far, by far, you have the rest of the world. You have China is number one, easy. USA is number two. And then you have uh, European Union and India come in about the, about the same. It says here, the entire European Union now emits less carbon than India, 
So the entire EU, less carbon than India, and about one-third as much as China. In fact, if every American, here's the key, if every American and European stopped emitting carbon entirely and went back to living in caves, the world as a whole would still produce more carbon than we did 20 years ago. So we could stop everything, and the world would still produce more carbon because of the other countries that are doing, that are creating energy in such a way that it produces more carbon. So he writes, the point is that the Europeans want to do the right thing so that the Chinese and the Indians could do more of the wrong thing. The Europeans want to set the example. So they've cut way back on their coal mining and their coal-fired electricity production. He writes, weirdly, they also don't like nuclear energy. It emits zero carbon, but it's mean to the uranium atoms or something. I don't know. In any case, Europe's biggest economy closed three nuclear plants in December and will close the other three that it has by the end of 2022. So Germany, in its zeal, right? Germany, in its zeal to be green, (laughs) and I guess to be like appreciated by the greenies around the world, are closing six nuclear power plants within a year. That's almost all of their energy. Almost all of their energy. He writes on, which means Europe has intentionally left itself increasingly dependent on, re- on the remaining two forms of energy, natural gas and renewables to make electricity. He writes, I'm not going to, now I'm going to let you in on a little secret, but don't tell anyone, especially not Greta. Europe is pretty far north. Berlin is further north than Calgary, which means that during the winter, Germans can't rely on those cool solar farms to get, to that get guys like Thomas Friedman all excited, which means that Germany and Europe generally depend very heavily on natural gas for their electricity. Guess where they get this natural gas? They get it from Russia. They get it from Russia. Luckily for Europe, Russia has gas to spare. It provides 35% of Europe's natural gas. And that figure was about to increase as a new pipeline called Nord Stream 2 opened up. 35% is a lot, especially when your customers have gone out of their way to increase their dependence on you. So Europe... Think about this, right? This is, this is, these are the people that Joe Biden is discussing when he's talking about this whole thing with Russia and how they have invaded Ukraine. When he's talking to the people in NATO, especially the, the, the uh, members who are from Europe, those people, if they implement sanctions on Russia that hurt Russia, Russia is responsible for their ability to keep warm in the wintertime, which is now. So how much zeal do you think the member countries of NATO that are part of Europe are going to have to do that? What, they're going to cut off their own nose to spite their face? Like, they're literally inflicting self-harm. It's incredible. And it's like genius of Putin, right? He, he literally has them backed into a corner before they even get started. Uh, So let's see, he continues on, 35% is a lot, especially when your customers have gone out of their way to increase their dependence on you. Europe simply has no substitute for Russian Russian natural gas in the short or medium term. The Russians have already taken advantage of this fact. Since last year, they've undersupplied their European customers. Natural gas prices have soared. Now electricity prices are about to follow them. As Reuters explained last month, electricity bills are set to rise 54%, 4% in 2022 as geopolitical tensions push up the natural gas price. 
54% might be optimistic at this point, he writes. The rise in electricity prices led to protests across Europe last fall. Countries like Italy are so worried what a shock this might bring to the system that they're considering directly subsidizing the consumers. (laughs) This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Of course, the subsidies will flow more or less directly to countries exporting the gas. In other words, Europe will be simultaneously sanctioning and paying for Russia's little adventure in Ukraine. This, listen to this. It's, you almost can't believe it's true that this is not some fictional story. <laughs> he writes, thus, uh, worse, the subsidies will do nothing to change the fundamental problem, which is that Europe's green fantasies are unable to produce enough power to keep the grid supplied unless demand goes down. Uh, Thus, Europe is in a real risk of rolling blackouts and prices for fertilizer and any manufacturing process that's energy heavy are also out of control. Germany just reported a 25% year over year increase in production prices in January of 2022. Hyperinflation territory. Naturally, the same idealistic idiots who set, set us down this path have the answer. More of the same, double quick. Over at CNN, this genius wants massive expansion of renewable energy, storage technologies, hydrogen technologies, and smart grids. Can you believe, I mean, CNN is a dumpster fire, so I can believe there's somebody over there saying that, but looking what's happening and looking what's unfolding in front of us on the geopolitical map and everything with Russia and Ukraine and the fact that Russia is, is the supplier for 35% of their energy, probably more at this point, certainly more when Germany shuts down these, these nuclear plants. How dumb do you have to be? to make yourself completely dependent. This, is, this gets to the mindset that we just talked about with John Kerry, that he thought, well, I thought we were, I don't even know how to do his voice. How can I do his voice? I thought we were way, way beyond this. And I thought Mr. Putin, realizing that 66% of his uh, country was on the frost line, like you listen to them and they honestly believe that they can just be completely dependent on another country, especially a communist country. And it's just all going to be okay. That they're, they're, nobody's ever going to try to take advantage of them. Just insane naivete. Alex continues, great. Hydrogen technologies, that will fix everything in about 2050. In the meantime, just buy some blankets and candles. They'll understand. They're suffering for the future. None of this insanity will touch any of the world economic forum elites responsible for it. They have their private jets and their generators in their house. You know who else that won't, this, this won't affect? Our friends in the People's Republic of China. Xi and the boys have been building coal-fired electric plants faster than you can say tectonic shift in global power. They now burn almost half of the coal in the world. Yep, they're pretty hedged against rising natural gas prices, which is one reason that they don't care about Putin's little adventure. But Europe has some hard choices ahead. Even though energy prices are global, the United States is in slightly better shape because our hydrocarbon industry is big and powerful enough, and we haven't gone down this insane road that the Europeans have. He said, of course, the elites won't admit any of this. They're blaming it on the weather or Putin or doing their best. Makes no, make no mistake. Putin might still have gone after Ukraine if the Europeans hadn't decided to live on windmills. But ask yourself this. Is it a coincidence that Putin waited for the Germans to mothball three nuclear power plants before he got hot and heavy at the border? Right now, hardcore energy sanctions are off the table. And those are the only sanctions that might make the Russians pay attention. The road to hell is paved with good intentions and paving too much attention with Swedish teenagers, a.k.a. Greta Thunberg. So an awesome piece by, by Alex Berenson. 
but it's incredible that they would put themselves in a position voluntarily that they are completely dependent upon a country with a leader who is less than moral, shall we say, <laughs> who, who you would never in a million years think, okay, I'm going to trust this guy to, to provide heat for my entire population and everything will just be okay. Everything will just be okay. New York City and vaccine passports. New York City and vaccine passports. So New York City is to getting close, I think, to reevaluating their vaccine passports and maybe doing away with them. Eric Adams uh, spoke about this yesterday, and let's take a quick listen to his answer. The, the question to him was, will we be doing away with these vaccine passports soon, like many other places already are? And here is the very, very unimpressive Eric Adams. Yes, and I can't wait to get it done. Uh, uh, I think that I take my hat off to New Yorkers through masks, through vaccines, through social distancing. Uh, you know, we were hit with a uh, the uncertainty, the fear of COVID. Uh, I'm just I, I'm really proud of how we responded as New Yorkers. How could you be proud of how we responded as New Yorkers, where everybody essentially curled up in a ball and hid in the corner? I was embarrassed by New Yorkers being a New Yorker walking down the streets and there's little COVID testing tents and there's hundreds of people standing in line. You want to like step back and yell at them. Like, do all of you really feel sick? That's why you're getting tested. Like what the hell are you people doing? When is, whenever I'm 51 years old, whenever have we run to get tested when people don't feel ill? This is like a new phenomenon. So you're proud of New Yorkers? Dude, you should be embarrassed of New Yorkers. But that says a lot about you too, doesn't it, Eric? And every morning I meet with my health professionals because I always stated I'm going to follow the science. I'm not going to get ahead of the science. I'm going to follow the science. Every morning I meet with my health professionals. I got a question for you, Eric. I got a question for you. With your little health bureaucrats there. Who got elected? Who did the people of New York vote for? Foolishly, but they voted for. That would be you. They voted for you. They didn't vote for some health bureaucrat. So when you say you're not following the science, A, you sound like a moron because in the last two years, that has become a punchline. And B, you should be listening to your advisors and making a decision based on what's best for the city that you are supposed to be governing, not just listening to the science. This is what every one of these politicians, Biden doing the same thing. They like point fingers at one another so nobody gets any blame. This is not leadership at all. Leaders lead. They look at the data. They weigh out the policy provisions, what it means for the public, how it's going to affect them. Of course, there's going to be, if there's risk associated with everything. But look around the world, Eric. Look around the country. Look at what's going on. Take the information and make a decision. Even if it's not exactly what your science people want you to do, because that's how you lead. That's what a real mayor does. Things that may not be popular, things that may upset people in the press. You're never going to make everybody happy anyway. So you may as well try to be a leader or at least pretend. Because I'm ready to get ahead of all of this and get back to a level of normalcy. Uh normalcy. That's a new word. That's a new word for today. Uh, Eric Adams wrestles with the English language from time to time, let's just say. But they're giving us clear instructions. They gave us benchmarks. We're going to follow those benchmarks. Uh, but I look forward to the next few weeks of uh, going to a real transformation that I don't have to wonder what you look like. I would know what you look like again. 
this is what makes you want to move out of places like New York, where the people who have been elected, regardless of the fact that they've been elected, have turned over your lives to governing bureaucrats. To governing bureaucrats. He's sitting there talking about the fact that, you know, he's got benchmarks and the scientists are giving him this information. Nobody elected them. Nobody. Take the information, evaluate it for what it is, use whatever minimal critical thinking skills you have available upstairs and make a decision. Make a decision. Moving on, the World Health Organization, before we get out of here, I want to touch on this because they're still pushing it, folks. I talk about it every show, vaccine passports. Vaccine passports, they're not going to give up on this. Not going to give up on this. The World Health Organization is pushing vaccine passports. Uh, This concern has been reinforced with the World Health Organization signing a contract with T-Systems, a Deutsche Telekom subsidiary, for the production of a global QR system to make digital vaccination certificates easier to introduce in the future. The press release in Total Telecom says that the WHO is setting up a gateway to enable QR codes on electronic vaccination certificates to be checked across all national borders. All national borders. We cannot allow this to happen. This cannot be put into place. If they get it into place, it's never going to go away. And then what happens? We just move toward a central bank digital currency where they get rid of fiat money, they get rid of cash money. And essentially, you don't get cash money. You don't have a bank account anymore. You have a central bank digital currency that's essentially like a voucher. And if they decide that, you know what, global warming is so important that nobody should be eating meat, or you can have meat twice a week, and oh, you already had your allotment of hamburgers this week, Alex. Sorry, only two burgers this week when you go to pay for it with your digital currency on your phone, it just won't work. It just won't work. Sorry. Ding, ding, ding. Sorry, you got your allotment. No more for you. And before we get out of here, folks, we have to do, of course, of course, we have to do the woke word of the day. Oh, hi. Hi, I'm Brad. Uh, Brad, Chad. (laughs) I am your beta male here at the uh, Ritz Report. Today's woke word of the day is justice. Ah, justice. And justice is defined as when injustice is done in service to a marginalized group. (laughs) That's your woke word of the day. And last but not least, like we always do before we get out of here, we are going to hear from Plugs, a.k.a. Bite Me, a.k.a. Joe Dementia Patient there in the White House. Here he is, the... Hero of the stupid. Hero of the stupid. And by the way, it costs a lot of money. It costs about $740 million billion over 10 years. It would be a hell of a lot better if we had electric buses. It would change the circumstance on boom, boom, boom. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. We can provide paid sick leave for all workers so workers don't have to leave work to, to get uh, uh, to be fired in order uh, when they get sick <laughs> to be able to continue to live. There he is, folks. Joe Biden, President of the United States. There he goes. Thanks, Joe. 
Good work, good work. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today on the Rich Report. I am Alex Ritz. Today is Thursday, the 24th, 2022. Please, if you would share this podcast with one of your friends so we get more listeners, that would be appreciated. And maybe give me a review, one star, two stars. Yeah, one star if you think it's crap. Five stars if you think it's great. Uh, and until next time, I will be back next Tuesday. Have a wonderful weekend. And as always, as always, let's go, Brandon. Yeah.